0: Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by The Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA, members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com/disclosures for details.
1: You got- problems that you ought to be concerned with. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep
2: it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret, but you're not the only one. Keep your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn and this is Bad With Money. My partner Mal and I are looking to buy a cabin. We've been together a little over two years and we lived together all through the pandemic without murdering each other. We're in it for the long haul. We collectively have a little money. So we started looking at cabins in the woods because that's what's affordable for us. Part of that process is getting a mortgage loan. And part of that process is allowing strangers to comb through all of your accounts and decide if you're worthy. So far, it has been my actual nightmare, like for real. My number one trigger, as it turns out, is having a bunch of people I don't know ask me questions about the minutia of my finances and decide over and over again that they need more information to accept that I am not a complete failure. Or at least that's what it feels like to me. I know objectively that's not what's happening, But, oh boy, does it make me cry and panic. I have money saved, right? But these lenders seem to be interested only in income. And as most of us have experienced, 2020 was not a great year for income. I thought perhaps the lenders would be impressed by how much I'd saved over the years, which was enough for the down payment, by the way. I was proud of that accomplishment considering 10 years ago, I had about $10 to my name, maybe less. I had crushing medical and student loan and credit card debt. But income, income kept being the problem. It made me feel gaslit. I knew I had enough money for the purchase. What did it matter about my income in a year when barely anyone who wasn't a billionaire had a dip in income? Can't they see how responsible I'd become? They didn't. They want to know that I'm going to continue to be making money. It's a common problem for freelancers and independent contractors and anyone who doesn't have a consistent paycheck, but I felt like this was lender too. This time it's personal. I'm very lucky. I worked hard to get here from where you all saw me in the beginning of this show in 2016, but I also had a lot going for me that made that happen. I'm self-made. No generational wealth. Nothing to fall back on. And here I was thinking I'd worked in therapy and otherwise, on believing I was safe and stable. This getting a mortgage situation has been like an extended panic attack. Not just like one, but has triggered real ones for me. Poor Mal. There's a lot of shame here. I'm ashamed even telling you all this now. I wanted to waltz in there, have them look at my accounts, pat me on the head, give me a lollipop, and say, Bye, George, look how well-adjusted this person is. Here is your mortgage. But as I've been starting this process, at the age of 33, so decidedly an adult, I just feel like a stupid kid. I know the whole point of this podcast is that no one is stupid, but when I get really down, it's easy for me to see that about other people and not myself. I have very few friends who've bought houses, so getting advice was hard. One person I could go to was fellow show business ingenue Alexis G. Alexis is about 10 years younger than me and one of my closest friends. She is wise as hell. And she just bought a condo all on her own, coming from similar financial and family circumstances as me. But we'll get to her in a minute. Our first guest is the expert, NerdWallet's Elizabeth Renter, the perfect name for a person to talk about home buying. I'm sorry, I'm sure she gets that a lot, and I'm nothing if not wholly unoriginal and corny. I wanted a professional to come on and walk us through every step of buying property. In her own life, Elizabeth has done it three times. And in her work as a data analyst, she crunches the numbers. (sighs) For many people listening to this podcast, buying a home is never going to be on their to-do list, and that is fair. I have my own qualms about the concept of even owning land and property. Like, I recently saw a tweet that said, Human beings really had the choice to just vibe and eat fruit, but instead we invented taxes. And I have been deeply feeling that lately. This podcast is always a struggle to present relevant and helpful information while not losing sight of how much we've created racist, sexist structures around basically everything to do with money. That being said, man, oh man, how do you buy a house without ruining your whole entire life and becoming a person you hate? My name is Elizabeth
3: Renter, and I am a data analyst and senior writer over at NerdWallet. So what I do is spend my time looking at large data sets typically and trying to figure out what they mean for us regular people and our personal finance and hopefully finding like actionable tips to spin out of them too.
2: So I read real estate subreddits and everyone was pissed this year. (laughs) So can you explain what has been going on? Yeah, I totally get it. So
3: interest rates are really low. So in that regard, it's a really great time to buy. So coming into this year, people are like, great, I'm going to buy a house. Look, I'm going to pay 3% interest and it's going to be awesome. And then they get out there and look and there are hardly any houses out there. And the ones that are out there are priced incredibly high. They're selling over list price. So what we have going on here is basic supply and demand. Demand is really high. Supply is really low. As such, prices are rising and it's incredibly frustrating if you were hoping to buy.
2: Yeah, so people have been saying that it's different, right? Where normally you can sort of negotiate in this instance now. I don't know if it's getting better, but it was like you have to do 15000 over asking price. Write them a letter telling them why you want the right. house. You're not allowed to do an appraisal. All this type of stuff that was so unusual. Right. Is there a world in which that changes anytime soon?
3: So... I'm going to break apart your question. Is there a world where that changes? Yes. Anytime soon, probably not, Cool. (laughs) unfortunately, but like realistically. So I recently was looking at some listing data from realtor.com for the first quarter and found that the number of active listings were down 48% compared with the first quarter of last year. And, you know, the first quarter of last year was sort of like our last normal Quarter. So that's a noticeable amount. In some metro areas, the number of active listings has dropped 71% since the same time last year. That was Austin, Texas. In places like Jacksonville, Florida, and Raleigh, North Carolina, it fell 64% year over year. And you still have just as many, if not more, people that are trying to get into the game and trying to buy right now. And so, yeah, you're finding that, yeah, you're having to go over list price. You're, you're, having to have a bigger down payment or an all-cash purchase. Yeah. And there are exceptions. There are certain markets that aren't quite as competitive. As an example, I actually purchased in December, but I bought in a small town in Kansas, and it's totally different. Mine was the only offer. It was accepted. It was asking price. So that was good. So there are exceptions to this. It's not like, oh, you're never going to be successful if you want to buy right now. But if you're hoping to buy in a highly competitive market, it's going to be tough. And I think a lot of people may find that the stress of buying in today's market may keep them out of it for another six months to a year until things cool off a little bit.
2: So this show is pretty basic and we kind of have a lot of people who don't really even know where to start. So let's say... You want to
3: buy a house? What is step one? Ooh, personally, it was spending way too much time looking at listings. For other people, it's going to make the most sense to reach out to a few real estate agents. And I say a few because nobody's going to know about your local market like local real estate agents are. So I would say the first step can be reaching out to them and talking to them about, hey, what's going on? Like, what are my chances of success in this market? And that'll kind of give you an outlook on whether it makes sense for you to pursue this or hold off and wait.
2: What about if you're scared to like reach out to a realtor? Like You don't know what the dynamic is supposed to be or what a realtor is supposed to do. How do you know if a realtor is doing a good job? Ooh, that's really tough. So you can kind of think
3: of a real estate agent as – your advocate in the system, you don't have to know all of the ins and outs of purchasing a home because there are a lot. And there's lots of legal stuff and paperwork. It's a lot to learn. But with the right real estate agent, they can help bring you along and teach you the things that you do need to know as you go. So that's why I say talk to a few and try to get a sense for how they work.
2: Right. I mean, my partner and I were looking at buying a place and We didn't understand the power dynamic with the real estate agent, and so we didn't know how proactive they were supposed to be. And it ended up kind of where I found a place on Zillow by myself. Yeah. And so we were sort of frustrated with the lack of response and things like that. But we were like, well, I don't know if we can bother her. We can fire her. But it's like, no, they work for you. They work for you.
3: Yeah. Well, and it's hard, especially if it's the first time you're doing it. I don't know what the intimidation is there, but it's there, right? You're like, I don't want to bother them if they're out looking for my house. Well, right. you know what? That's why you hired them is to bother right. them. In the beginning before you hire them and you've talked to a few of them, ask them those questions. Like, is it going to drive you nuts if I leave you three messages in one day? Or how long should I expect to wait for a return call? So it's kind of like a job interview and it can be intimidating, but push past that discomfort because again, you've hired them, you're going to pay them if they do their job. If they right. you know, close the sale, they're going to get paid off of this. So you are definitely in control.
2: So now you have a real estate agent. Let's say you find a place and you're like, mm-hmm. I like this place. Now what do you do? So obviously you would talk to
3: your agent about putting in an offer, but let me back up just a second because sort of coinciding with getting an agent is making sure that you're ready for a mortgage. And that is a huge, huge step. You don't want to find the house you love and then have to backtrack and try and find the loan. Because in this market, that's going to be too late. So you talk to an agent, you find out what your local market is doing, you decide, you know what, yes, now is the time I want to buy. Let me start looking at loans and see what I can qualify for. So you're going to look at rates and get pre-approved with a couple lenders, and then you can start looking at houses and trying to find the one that's going to fit your needs.
2: So for pre-approval, which happened pretty quickly, so for pre-approval, what do you have to show them and how fast should it happen? Ooh, I
3: think that varies by lender. And, you know, it's been a couple months, but typically I believe you have to tell them what your income is. They run mm-hmm. a credit check on you and that sort of thing. Like you said, it can happen pretty quickly. It does depend on who you go with. Mm-hmm. Similar to an agent, choose your lender wisely.
2: Yep. That's another person you got to
3: choose. <laughs> and be careful because, you know, it may make sense to like, say you use a credit union in your community. And having access to like a branch or being able to walk down the street and see them, that might be a priority to you. Maybe you live your whole life on your phone. And so an app that's going to be easy for you to input documents into, that's a priority. So I would say pay attention to that stuff. But some of these higher tech ones, yeah, you can be pre-approved with less than 24 hours. It happens very quickly.
2: Yep. But that doesn't mean you have to have the loan. Don't worry. That doesn't mean... <laughs> well, and the other thing too is I think a lot
3: of people... Maybe if it's their first time, they don't realize is that that's just like the beginning step. The longest part of the home buying process, generally, once your offer is accepted and into a closing, when you're having to show them, if you have freelance income, your tax documents and your pay stubs and, you know, like yeah. everything.
2: Yes. So they're going to ask for a million documents. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting right now for me, the thing is that I have a lot of savings, but because I'm freelance income comes in chunks. So what I'm finding is that they are more interested in whether or not I have income versus (laughs) my savings. They look at the savings, they're like, fine. And I was not expecting that.
3: Yeah. And in that case, I believe when you're freelance, they're going to want to look at your back tax returns. All of it, man. (laughs) Yeah. But one thing I wanted to talk to your listeners about too is what are the reasons their mortgage could get denied?
2: Yes, please.
3: Yeah. So I recently. There's the Home Mortgage Disclosure Act requires that lenders submit all of the data about loan applications to the federal government, and then they publish that data publicly. So I looked at the 2019 data several months ago and have looked at it in the past, and there's typically three reasons why your mortgage application is going to be denied, and that is the debt-to-income ratio, which I'll tell you what that is in a second, your credit history, and your loan-to-value And so your debt-to-income ratio, in 2019, that was checked on 35% of denied mortgage applications, and that was the top reason for mortgage denials. So what they look at with your debt-to-income ratio is all of the payments you make every month compared to how much money you bring in. So that includes your your car payment, your regular household bills, your student Student loans. loans. Yeah, your student loans are included in that. And so if you have high debt relative to your income you might get denied. Now, we say strive to keep your debt to income ratio under 20%. So that means your debts are 20% of what your income is. That's really
2: hard to get to. Yeah. For most people, impossible. Right. Just just
3: work towards it. But it's one of those reach goals. Now, what I did see in the data is every bit under 50% you get, the more likely you are to be approved. So just keep cracking at it. And 30% is probably safe too. And then the second thing, as I said, credit history, that accounted for 22% of denials. So that's making all of your payments on time, keeping delinquencies and stuff off your credit report. And then finally, your loan to value ratio. That was cited in 18% of denials in 2019. And what that is, is your down payment, essentially. If you're trying to borrow 100% of the home's value, in other words, you're not making a down payment, you're less likely to qualify for a mortgage, unless you have... Stellar credit and a huge income compared to your debts. Yeah. So the bigger the down payment, the better.
2: This data kind of dovetails with racism and sexism, obviously. Where like Mm -hmm. credit scores we've talked about on this podcast are pretty racist. Income to debt ratio, I imagine the data shows that women have more probably like more debt and lower incomes. Mm-hmm. When you look at this data, does it tell you what kind of people are more likely to be approved and is that still kind of a hugely racist and sexist thing? I imagine it is. So I I did not look at that in this data,
3: but what what I can say is if you're a woman, if you're a historically marginalized group, if you can't hit these marks with the low debt to income ratio with Stellar credit history. Look into first time home buyer programs in your area. And now I'm saying first time home buyer program, but perhaps you owned in the past. A lot of these first time home buyer programs, you're considered a first time buyer in their eyes again after you haven't owned for three years. Oh, okay. So, yeah, as an example, I purchased a house in 2006. I went through a short sale with the housing market crash in 2010, uh, and then I didn't own for several years. I bought again in 2017, and I was able to qualify for a first-time homebuyer program. So look into that. We have some pages on NerdWallet that go by state, so you could look at Florida first-time homebuyer programs and see what's available there. What do they do? Generally, they allow for a lower down payment. Oh. Yeah, and they have them through conventional lenders, but they also have them backed by like the FHA and the USDA and that sort of thing and the idea there is to sort of increase access to home ownership for people that historically may not have been able to cool and then what was the second thing you were going to say down payment assistant programs and often those two things go hand in hand but some states also have down payment assistant programs where maybe they'll kick in a certain amount of your down payment or they will essentially attach what they're helping you with onto your mortgage So it'll look like you're making a down payment, but it's going on your mortgage kind of thing.
2: (laughs) Okay. Do you have to pay that back?
3: That's another loan? In some instances. So the down payment assistant program, it depends on where you live. It depends on where you're getting the assistance through. And yeah, the idea is to make home ownership more attainable for people. Now, I did read an article. I believe it was in the Wall Street Journal recently that it is harder to get offers accepted that are backed by FHA loans right now, which is- yes.
2: We've heard that.
3: Yeah. So it's making it even more difficult for low income people or people who would otherwise be boxed out of home ownership who are trying to take advantage of these programs. In highly competitive markets, if a seller has is looking at two offers and everything else is equal, but this person is a cash offer or a conventional loan, one or the other, and the other person has an FHA loan, they're gonna lean towards this guy over here. So that's something to be aware of. I mean People who have to go with FHA lending or make a smaller down payment because they just don't have the savings and they want to buy, they're committed to buy right now, they're going to have to be more flexible, unfortunately. That means where they're looking, that sort of thing. So yeah, Yeah. it's tougher for some people, for sure.
2: How do you know if you should buy versus rent? Ooh, That's
3: a tough one. I think a lot of it depends on where you're hoping to buy, where you're hoping to live. The other thing is how long do you plan on living there? I mean, yeah, technically you could buy a house and then turn around and sell it in a couple years, but that's a lot of spent energy and you're probably not going to see much of a return on your investment. Another thing is for some people, owning doesn't make sense because They don't want to have to deal with all the headaches of owning. Owning a house is a pain in the butt.
2: (laughs) Right. So that's the thing. I think people think, oh, you buy it and then that's it. Oh my God, no. (laughs) So we're doing the appraisal and everything and we're trying to figure out like who's going to pay for what and everything. So we're realizing that you're thinking like, oh, okay, so my rent is, you know, a thousand, but if I got a home, you know, my mortgage would be $500 every month, whatever. So obviously it makes sense. Right. But- if your fridge breaks, if you, if there's a flood, like all this stuff that you call your landlord and you're like, please replace the oven, which we've done here in our rental in California, yes. you have to pay for that. Sure. And I don't think people realize that.
3: Yeah, no. And one of the things we recommend is setting aside 2 to 3% of your home's value every year for maintenance. Whoa. Because when you first move in... Inevitably. Stuff's going to go wrong or you're going to find stuff that you want to fix or change that maybe you didn't see during the inspection or the walkthroughs. It's going to happen. But yeah, you absolutely – homeownership costs are not the same as rental costs.
2: So then your offer gets accepted – Mm -hmm. And then what happens? So your offer gets
3: accepted, you're under contract, and then you have time to get an inspection done, the lender's going to have an appraisal done, all the while in the background the lender is underwriting your loan. So they're asking for all of those documents that we were talking about. And essentially they're covering their butts to make sure that you're going to pay back this mortgage and that they absolutely want to have you sign on the dotted line. Mm -hmm. So during that time, you can have your inspections done, whether it's just a regular home inspection or you can pay more for specialty inspections like mold and radon and pests and all that kind of stuff. So during that period that the loan is being underwritten is sort of your time to further research the house and see what you're getting into.
2: So what are some ways that home buyers might get taken advantage of because they just don't know? So I would say in an effort to
3: have your offer be the one that accepted, you may be tempted to forego inspections. And we strongly caution against that. You absolutely need to know what's going on in that house before you get into it. There could be serious underlying problems. And while the seller might not fix them when you discover them, they may be big enough that you want to walk away. If you forego this inspection and find out it has multiple tens of thousands of dollars in foundation repairs or needs a $20,000 new roof, your what would have been affordable, possibly house, is now not maintainable and you're going to find yourself in over your head very, very quickly. So I would say don't forego the inspection. And then the other thing that I would say is don't get caught up in the competition right now.
2: Yeah. People want to win or they get really attached to one place where like, this is the one I need. And it's like...
3: But is it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're absolutely right, and I think one way that you can kind of guard against that is before you start looking at possible homes, before you start really searching, get really real with your budget and say like, okay, this is my ideal range of what I want to spend. This is my absolute upper max. No matter what I get into, no matter what the house is like, I cannot go over this amount. And then try to keep it far less.
2: Is home ownership a goal? For millennials right now or for Gen Z, I feel like this episode might even be controversial because it's not something that we usually talk about. Our audience, I don't think, feel like they'll ever have the money to to buy a home. Sure. So is that still a thing that people want to do? And yeah. is that even an achievable thing for young people now? Yeah.
3: So we consistently ask that question in our our annual homebuyer report, which comes out in January. So in our 2021 Home Buyer report, and, and every year we ask, is home ownership a priority to you? Mm-hmm. And overwhelmingly, it's a priority to millennials and Gen Z. Wow. So they want to own homes. And I think by and large, this huge demand you see right now is from millennials. I mean, these are the new families, right? Millennials aren't children. No. (laughs) Despite what some of the old people think, like millennials have families. They're, you know, pushing 40 now. Like they want homes. And part of the problem is baby boomers are aging in place like generations before haven't. So they're getting older, but they're staying in their homes. They're not giving up those single family homes. And that's part of the reason that we have a shortage here is millennials are the largest generation. The second largest generation is not selling their homes. In the scheme of a lifetime, A handful of years with very, very tightly constrained supply is it's over in the blink. You know, I mean, it's frustrating right now, but it will pass and it's absolutely an attainable goal.
2: Thank you so much. Where can people find out more about this and your work and also any sort of step by step help for buying a home? Yeah, well, they can find me on Twitter
3: at Elizabeth Renter, that's R-E-N-T-E-R, and then you can absolutely search our library of content at NerdWallet. We have a ton of sort of strategic how-to and what does this term mean, more on the debt to income ratio, and all of those sort of nuggets that are really helpful for first-time buyers.
2: Yeah, it's extremely stressful, and it will just make you a little bit frustrated and upset. So just expect that. (laughs) just know that you're not alone it doesn't matter if it's your
3: first or your third it's still hard
2: (sighs) yeah next we're going to be speaking to one of my besties alexis gizal alexis is a writer and actress and a great person to be friends with my name is alexis gizal
1: i am an actor writer director and former youtuber
2: (laughs) have you been on this show before no right
1: No, I've never been on the show, but I've listened to it and I've read your book. So I'm really honored to be here. I I love your book and your podcast. I'm a big fan.
2: Oh my God. This praise is not a prerequisite for being on the show, but I will take it.
1: But I'm sure it doesn't hurt.
2: And when it's true, even better. Does it hurt? Okay, so you bought a condo. Mm Mm-hmm. You are one of my only friends who has purchased a home of any kind. So, (laughs) what made you want to do that other than rent? That's a
1: really interesting question. I guess societal conditioning would be like (laughs) a big answer always being told like, as soon as you can buy, you should buy. Yeah, And then also I felt like in a way would offer me more freedom. If I wanted to travel somewhere, I would be able to sublet this place out for a month. I have yet to do that, but I could. (laughs) And so that's exciting. And then yeah, also just not wanting to spend money on rent and I'll just be able to buy a house so much sooner because I'll be able to like sell this place, use that money for the down payment and then keep going.
2: So you are also someone like me who's kind of going through this with no parental support. So how did you take the first steps? What were they?
1: Well, I was living in a two-bedroom with a roommate that I really loved, and she told me that she wanted to get a one-bedroom. And so I was sort of just trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and I was looking at one bedrooms to rent on Zillow and they're just gonna be so expensive for like all the great amenities I was able to get at a two bedroom but I didn't really want a roommate so you know just like all that normal stuff that I feel like we all go through in home hunting and then I was like well what if I went on Zillow to buy and I just put price low to high and then yeah. I
2: was yeah. like, what's oh. the cheapest possible place? Yeah.
1: yeah, literally. I was like, just what what is out there? And that's when I first started seeing like one bedrooms to buy. And I also, I kind of got into it by looking at this thing called a TIC. Have you heard of that? No. So I'm not an expert on this, but my understanding of it, it's really popular in San Francisco or like other big cities where it's really hard to break into the home buyer market or basically you have like an eight unit building or four unit building and all of the tenants are on the same mortgage. And there's like pros and cons. One is a lot of times it's a lot cheaper. The places I was looking at, there were a couple that were... In the 400k range in Los Angeles, which is insane, crazy, and every part of every other part of the country, it was like 500 square feet for 400k, and I was like,
2: yes. (laughs) <laughs> Where I live right now, it's like a lovely home, but it's very old. And it's, I looked it up to buy, and it's $1.6 million. Yeah. Yeah, literally. Million it's dollars. crazy. Meanwhile, when we and Mal were driving across country, whenever we would stop in like Deming, New Mexico, or like the middle of nowhere, Mississippi, or whatever, I'd look up what the houses were and be like, five bedroom house, 90K. And I'd be like, are you kidding me? I've it's made horrible upsetting. choices
1: of where to live. I know. It's so annoying. Yeah, I could definitely buy my dream house like, in a small town for like the amount that I paid for a one-bedroom right. in Los Angeles.
2: So you were looking at the TIC. Yes, exactly.
1: And there were a lot of pros to that and that it was like, cheaper. The big con is there's basically two main types of mortgages, like a fixed rate and a flexible rate. Most of the time, you would want to do a fixed rate because then – I got a pretty good interest rate. And so no matter if like in a few years, interest rates go way up, I still get to pay the same amount until my place is paid off. But a flexible rate changes with the market. You had to do that in order to get a TIC. And that was just really scary for me because you don't know, especially What's with COVID, just kind of throwing a wrench in things. Right. And so I, I started looking at one bedrooms and this is actually the second condo that I looked at. And it was definitely a fixer.
2: Like it was pretty ugly, What kind of work and money are you putting in now and what were you surprised by?
1: So basically I put like 20K into this place. The main huge thing that I did is I added AC. Yeah. Yeah. So I did new floors, AC, and then a bunch of like a new electrical panel. I mean, Uh, things are just going to come up like that. So like, I think always be prepared to spend a little bit more money than you think you will have to. I had a gas leak right when I moved in and I had to go through my home warranty, which I didn't have gas for like three months, which was absolutely hellish. But yeah, they sent me like seven different contractors through the home warranty company which and you pay for that. That's something that is essential that you buy in the escrow process. And they just kept sending me contractors that would refer me to other people and just clearly like weren't willing to pay for it. And I had to do lots of like yelling on the phone. A lot of like growing up in that way where you're like, god, I don't want to be this person, but actually I need to yell at you right now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of confrontation. I mean, this is why it's for a lot of people. It just seems not doable, not just because of money, but because of how much time and confrontation is involved.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of confrontation. I was really, really grateful I did this after I had started therapy. I wouldn't have been incapable, honestly. <laughs> I had so much confrontation so consistently. I could mark. Like, I was like, I'm getting better at this. <laughs> <laughs> I just like staying in my body, staying centered, and yelling.
2: Oh my god. <laughs> If you're a person who's never done this before, because you're a first timer, you get pre-approved for a loan, which is like basically just sending them all this stuff. And then you put in the offer and then what happens?
1: So normally you go back and forth. So I put in an offer that was 10K below asking because the place did need work. And we met in the middle. So like 5K below asking and I went up 5K, which that's what my realtor told me to expect to happen. And so then I,
2: yeah. (laughs) So like Mal and I are sort of, figuring this out and I don't have parents involved in it and Mal's dad has been I mean just irreplaceable the fact that I even have an older man who can be like no you don't you you put in below asking you put in below asking and I was scared I was like well if we what if they say no and it's like yes what if they say no like that's a thing that could happen that's okay you're not a complete failure yeah you just take it from there yeah So you put that in, so then they say yes, and then what happens?
1: So then I think that's when you enter escrow. Escrow is a crazy process. One of the most fun parts of being an escrow is telling people you're an escrow. got a huge (laughs) kick out of that. They're like, what have you been up to? I'm like, I'm an escrow. You know how it is. (laughs) But being an escrow is actually an insane amount of work which I wasn't expecting like I was on the phone with my lender probably every day and there's a ton of stuff that happens on like a really tight timeline. So it's like once you enter escrow, you've both agreed on an asking price or a price and then you enter a period where you as the buyer are the only one who can back out, which is really nice because I was moving out of a lease and I wasn't going to have anywhere to live, so I was like I at least know that if I change my mind it's because I am not because like they, mm-hmm. you know, flake out or whatever.
2: So I was like, I know I'm going to have a place to live. Laws are different in different states. Oh, okay.
1: So that's how it is in California. Right. I think California is pretty buyer forward rule wise is my understanding of it. I think because it is just like so expensive and they're like, if you can buy, please do it. (laughs) But yeah, so then it's a it's a lot of just like sending a ton of paperwork and basically proving that you have the money, especially I bought during COVID where like unemployment was really high and so you there were a lot more restrictions even because they weren't trying to get people in mortgages and then they're unemployed mm-hmm. for a really long time. We didn't know how long everything was going to last, still up in the air, but yeah, it was just like a a scary process in the sense that a lot can go wrong very stressful very like we need this document right now I don't know how someone could do it with like a full-time job I guess it's probably just really hard
2: so what mistakes would you advise other people about especially if people are doing this let's say without yeah parental help
1: one I would say yes while it's stressful It's not necessarily confusing if you have a team that's helping explain it to you. It is more so just quantitative work, if that makes sense. And it's your realtor's job and your lender's job. So the lender is the one that facilitates your mortgage. Realtor is the one who like sells you the place and is advocating on your behalf. It's their job to explain this stuff to you. Definitely take a lot of care in choosing who those people are and get references from other people. Also, I think a lot of that stuff is like gut instinct. You know, you can do your research, but if you're with a realtor and you're not getting 100% good vibes, find someone else. And then from there, I would say if you're in the escrow process or you are starting construction, like just really try and clear your up your schedule because there's <laughs> going to be a lot of issues. And also be prepared to spend more money than you think.
2: Are you happy? What's the pros?
1: The biggest pro is the financial incentive. Everything I pay, I'm going to sell and get back, which is amazing. Also, if you're able to buy in a city like LA, or I feel like I'd imagine it's also similar in like Chicago or, you know, bigger cities, real estate is a really safe investment. The price of my condo has already gone up and that's awesome. Like that is just not renting at all. That's not the deal. You just pay it and you never see that money again.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on here and being so explicit and honest and (laughs) using numbers. Where can people find out more about you and your work?
1: You can find out more about me on my social media. It's all at Alexis G. And I love to post my little tweets and my little Instagrams and <laughs> and make my little works. I also have a YouTube channel with a lot of videos. Some are with Gabby and they slap, dare I say. Yeah. And my parting words of wisdom are if the numbers are adding up and you're able to make it happen, go for it. You can handle it. It's hard, but doable. And as Glennon Doyle says, we can do hard things. <laughs>
0: Are
2: Mal and I going to find a home? Will it be great or a total disaster? Stay tuned. I'm leaning toward it being great. We get to nest and be a family. That's my goal. Even if you're just a person who peruses Zillow as a hobby, it's good to know the actual steps it takes to get a house. You can't just jump into it with no research, an awkward relationship with a realtor that isn't working, and a willingness to just spend to win. No, 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 no. Between myself and Mal, I'm the one who hired and fired our first realtor. Conflict is very difficult. I'm the one who actively called around to find houses because talking to people on the phone is difficult. But Mal is the one who understands the projects needed to make a house a home. Is replacing this log going to be a bigger deal than the seller is painting it out to be? What will a mason cost, or a carpenter? Mal's dad has also been extremely helpful in terms of knowing how this process is supposed to go, and that's a huge privilege. If I wasn't dating Mal, I don't know if I could have figured this out without Larry Blum. Would any of this be possible, even if I could afford it on my own if I were a single person? I truly don't know. My guess is definitely not. It's overwhelming. The best thing to do is talk to each other and be honest. Sometimes it can be lonely as a first-time buyer. Information online is so intense and shaming. Reddit has been a great resource for me, but also everyone's opinions are so strong and seem so final. Am I really an idiot for looking in this market? Am I going to regret everything if I don't do this one obscure thing perfectly? Should I let strangers on the internet scare the poop out of me? Okay, so this is going to seem woo-woo and totally out of left field, but please bear with me for a moment. I read an amazing book called When Things Fall Apart by a Buddhist nun named Pima Chojon. In the book, and I may be oversimplifying this, she talks about abandoning both hope and fear. Abandoning fear I'd obviously heard before, but... Abandoning hope seemed to make for a lousy life. What she meant, though, is that both concepts keep you from being truly in the moment. It's almost too zen to achieve, but that's why she's a nun. I think about it a lot in terms of what I can and can't control. Life is a series of decisions. You kind of just have to keep making them, and you're never ever going to really know for sure which were the right ones and which weren't. No hope, but no fear either. Time's going to keep on moving and no choice is a choice. So me and Mal are going to look to buy a cabin. And this episode could be a gentle, loving journal entry for us or a sharp turn on the road to disaster. But it's really not my business either way.